You're listening to Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. All right, so Professor Fielding is back with us this week. Um, he's a, a virologist and a director of research and development at the University of the Western Cape. Usually joins us for a conversation around COVID-19. Professor Beatrum Folding, good morning. Good, good afternoon. It's Good afternoon. <laughs> Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. So we, it's begun. So we have now started our rollout of the second phase. We know that we will be using the J&J vaccine as well as the Pfizer vaccine. Can we talk about the side effects for the both vaccines, please, Prof? So as with all vaccines, you know, you would have um, the same type of side effects. So typically uh, the side effects are very mild. So it would be swelling and sensitivity at the site of the vaccination. Some people can experience headaches. Some people can experience um, body aches and joint aches. That normally lasts for a day or two. There have been some very weird cases of people fainting afterwards um, mm-hmm. in the United States. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be linked to the, um, to the vaccine as well. Thankfully, the adverse, these, the very, very severe side effects are still very, very minimal for the majority of these vaccines. Can we, for those who are listening, Prof, and who are in the queue, is there anything you can do to minimize the side effects before you go for the vaccine, maybe 12 hours or 24 hours prior? Pamela, unfortunately, these vaccines, remember the, um, the aim of these vaccines is to stimulate the immune system. Mm-hmm. So it is really just to try to keep the immune system as strong as possible, or take your vitamins, etc. Um, I do know that for, for kids, for instance, we say give them um, some pain medication before the time. Okay. Uh, but really, it is the immune system of the body uh, just starting the reaction. I need to understand the science of how we're going to get this right and when we're going to call it. Because herd immunity is not necessarily 100% of the people being vaccinated, right? And this is the kind of virus where we rely on each other to be healthy for us to all be healthy. For those who will not be going to get a vaccine, to what extent will they be a real threat um, to the rest of the population once we've reached the maximum number of vaccines that we have and are going to roll out? So if if you look at the conversation around herd immunity the past year and a bit, it has varied from anything from about 60% to about 75% of the population needs to have um, antibodies, so they need to be immune. And that is very much dependent on what is called the reproductive number, so how easy this virus spreads. That differs from country to country, month to month, it seems. There are now more and more scientists who are saying we will probably not achieve herd immunity. Um, And that's why I've always said it is not really maybe about herd immunity. It is about minimizing the deaths and the hospitalizations. And for me, that is important. You look at all of these vaccines, they are extremely, extremely, um, we're looking at more than 95, 96% effective in minimizing deaths and hospitalizations, that is what we're aiming for. Very, very the same really target we have for flu every year and, and the flu vaccine. Okay, which then means just because you've had the vaccine doesn't mean that you are not going to get the virus. And that's the problem. <laughs> um, if, if we look at, at data worldwide, 
in the general population, we're looking at about 65% protection. And even then, I mean, you speak to experts in South Africa at the moment, and they would tell you, yes, you could still become infected, mm. but your symptoms will be much, much, much weaker. So you will almost be gotcha. either asymptomatic or very mild, um, you know, the symptoms. That means that we're really creating almost a, a pool of asymptomatic spreaders. So, and that's why I'm saying, you know, it's sure. not about it's not about minimizing um, the numbers that's infected. It's really about protecting high-risk people and minimizing the number of deaths. Definitely. Okay, I'm going to ask for a quick break, Prof, and I'll be back with more. And I see a lot of people sending also voice notes, and I will take those calls on 011 Professor Abitram Fielding is a virologist and director of research and development at the University of the Western Cape. We're talking all things COVID-19. Um, Prof, we've got an, a, a message here. So good afternoon, Prof. Um, can you please ask if we under the age of 60, when will be our turn to be vaccinated? I don't know. Do you know, Prof? So, Pamela, only, only last week, um, I think it was Pfizer, Yes. Have submitted their request to have children vaccinated. And as far as I know, it was approved in the USA. We need to keep in mind that for all of these vaccines, we are still learning and we're still in clinical trials. So mm-hmm. at the moment, these vaccines are not safe for kids. Yeah. Um, some of them are for um, 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 kids or adults above 16, others above 18. And it depends on the specific vaccine. Mm. Prof, sticking with children, can we just go back to that conversation around, because now schools are having a conversation again about closing or not closing or going back online because um, other provinces have declared a third wave, okay? If children are non-symptomatic but are carrying the virus, is there a case to be made about them being protected or protecting uh, teachers and, and necessarily, you know, keeping them away from school? Is is there a case to be made there or not? So, Pumelo, a very difficult question. If there are high-risk teachers at school, they should be vaccinated. Yes, kids can be infected, very, very often asymptomatic, more often than not. They can spread the virus, mm. but very, very important studies globally showing that kids are not really being infected in schools. They are infected in yes, communities. Sure, yes. So by the time they come back to school, they might be infected. But if the teachers, high-risk teachers are, are vaccinated, then it should really minimize the, the risk. Mm. All right. I've got a voice note, Prof. Hi, Pamelo. Uh, can I ask, please, because, you know, when you talk about super spreader, who is taking a data into township, like from township where people, they live normal life, and we have never seen people dying like flies there due to corona. Like people, they live normal. They are strong. You have never had any cases of corona in township, in shacks, in shanties, where people, they use one toilet, one tap. You know, there's no hygienic uh, uh, facilities. People, they just live the way they want. So what is going on? I can't remember the last time I heard someone say dengue. <laughs> 
Well, okay. So two things are not true. People have died in the township, so that's not true. Yes. And and the data actually goes throughout. But you've addressed this as well, Prof, to say, well, people are now more immune. So just maybe continue in that vein. So, so it looks as so if you look in certain areas, um, very highly populated areas, yes. there might be a higher immunity. Yes. Um, it, it could also be, I mean, I just this weekend there was a report where the minister, the minister of health said, you know, it, um, these are becoming hotspots because people are not sanitizing and not wearing their masks. They're becoming infected. But only last week Friday, a PhD student and I, Adeval Skuman, uh, published a paper but actually speculate that another reason Africans, specifically in Africa, are becoming infected but not dying in the numbers that we expected is, is due to malnutrition. And specifically nutrition that is deficient in protein intake. And it has something to do with the hormone that's found in the body. And this is what we're theorizing. But obviously it must still be proven in a clinical setting. So that could be another reason. So, so just say that again. So the malnutrition itself could be the reason? Yes. So interesting uh, because when we look at why numbers are low in Africa, people yes. have said genetics, yes. um, you know, the density of people, yes. our vaccination program. We've now said maybe malnutrition, mm. especially malnutrition that is linked to protein mm. deficiency. Mm-hmm. So the person is getting enough calories but not enough protein. Yes. There's a drop in a hormone in, 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 in those type of people, and the hormone is called leptin. Leptin lower, um, you have a, a, a less severe immune response. Very interestingly, in obese people, because this, this hormone yes. is made in, in fat cells, yes. obese people are at highest risk of, of severe illness and death. So there looks to be a, a relationship between this hormone nutrition and the severity of the disease. And this is, is this the same hormone that is responsible for, we spoke a lot about the protein and it being the key ingredient, I think, in, in the transmission of the disease. Is that the same? Are we having the same conversation around why maybe we're seeing less? No, we're not something? actually. So, so this is this is something where my PhD student went through the literature mm-hmm. and he actually saw this relationship. And if we look at Africa specifically, uh, what is the, the, the staple diet? Mm-hmm. It, it's really carb, yes. very, very low uh, protein intake. Yes. So this is a different hormone that does play a role in immunity, mm-hmm. but also plays a role in inflammation and controlling of inflammation. Mm. That's interesting. Asanda, you're calling from the Eastern Cape. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Sinello. Thank you so much for taking my call. Ooh, Asanda, we can hardly hear you. I think you're muffled, quite muffled there. Right. Can you yeah, can much, you hear me now? Much better. Yes. Go ahead. <laughs> right. Okay, Mr. Timelo. Uh, I'd like to make a comment. Actually, it comes in the form of a question. You know, where I stay, you know, it's a space where the high illiteracy levels. So the elderly have a fear that if they they are they are told to go and register in order for them to be vaccinated, they don't want altogether to go and uh, uh, get vaccinated because they believe it's a death warrant. So, I mean, what are some of the um, ways in which the government is trying to really persuade uh, the elderly to take uh, 
vaccinations. I've, I've been hearing that a lot of other people have taken, the elderly have taken, uh, I mean, not from where we stand. I mean, I'm in Berkeley East, and I haven't heard anyone saying that they've actually gone to take the um, vaccination. I heard the, the Premier this morning saying that they're entering into the, the second issuing out of uh, phase, rather, of the vaccinations within the Eastern Cape. Where exactly? Because where I come from, there's just a reluctance from the elderly to actually be vaccinated. They believe that it's a death uh, warrant. Prof, your response? Pamela, I think if we just look at at global numbers, South African numbers of those who have died um, above 55, especially if you have comorbidities, so our our elderly are extremely high risk. I actually gave a a public talk about three weeks ago where it was exactly the same question by, by our elderly who were scared of this vaccine. And and I firmly believe if we give them the pros and cons, that they would make the right decision. And the, 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 the cons um, of taking the vaccine extremely small, the, the benefits of taking the vaccine for high-risk individuals, it will more than likely save your life. So I think the numbers should be enough to convince us that we really need to take this vaccine if we are high-risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rebecca is calling from Centurion. Good afternoon, Rebecca. Good afternoon. Hi, go ahead. Um, I actually just phoned in to comment on um, the comment that was made on the, um, the the voice note of another caller where he mentioned that, you know, they haven't seen a situation where people are dying like flies. Mm. And um, the the response to that was that, you know, that is not true. People have died. And I just wanted to point out that that's not what he said. He didn't say people had not died. Of course people have died. We're not um, going to pretend that COVID doesn't exist and people aren't dying. But what he did say is people aren't, um, I suppose he tried to use that um, phrase, dropping like flies, like one would expect in a pandemic situation where if you go through history and you see very serious historical pandemic situations, you did actually have people dropping like flies. That's where they got the idea from, where bodies would pile up and there would be mass burials and stuff. We haven't seen anything like that in any of our areas. And because of that, we need to just keep the conversation balanced and you know, acknowledge the facts without discounting each other. And he did say we're not dropping like flies. And I think the context of his message was we are not in the kind of danger that we have seen in some other countries where there were also other factors at play which um, gave their people a susceptibility to COVID, which we don't have in our country. So for each country, their risk um, benefit analysis needs to be separate and different. And we do, like the prof says, need to know all the pros and cons so that we can each decide for ourselves what would be the... Oh, what a pity that we've lost Rebecca. Are you still there, Rebecca? Okay, what we, we'll try and get her back because I think she she needs to finish her point before we respond. Um, let me see if there's somebody else waiting on the line. Okay, no, there's nobody else. Prof, maybe your response to that. Um, Rebecca yeah, is 100%, 100% correct, uh, Pamela. If you look at death rates, and, and I'm almost wanting to say death rates globally, we've been very fortunate. It's around 2%. Yet, in, I mean, 2% it is for somebody's family member. If we compare what we're seeing now to the 1918 flu, 1956 flu, huge differences. So, so we have been fortunate, especially in Africa. 
At the beginning of this pandemic, both the WHO and UN predicted that in Africa between 270,000 and 3 million Africans would die because of all the reasons the first caller mentioned. Something is happening in Africa and we have something that we're still trying to understand and we cannot fully explain it. Okay. So I fully agree with that. But, even, uh, even in India, for instance. So yes, people are dying now in much higher numbers. But if you look at the percentage of people dying as a percentage of those infected, the death rate has not increased drastically. Mm. So it is really minimizing the spread of this virus so that we can minimize the death rate. Okay. Rebecca is back. Rebecca, were you, were you done with your point? I was done, but I, I wanted to also mention one more thing, if I may, um, that we, in comparison to many other countries, have a really, really wonderful constitution that protects our freedoms and our rights to choice over the autonomy of our bodies. And when it comes to um, vaccinations, which are actually biologics, they're not actually registered medicines, they're registered biologics, there's quite a big difference. We don't we, we don't in this country have any law by which anyone can force us to take any vaccine. So post-1994, all medication given to people is completely at their own will. The only time a person can be forced to be given a medication is if they are, um, say, in a, in a situation of a mental disease where they are a danger to themselves or their family and they maybe need to be institutionalized then you actually need to get a court order to give someone a, even a pill or an injection to help them manage that disease. There is no medication that can be forced onto a South African citizen because our law protects us from that. And as such, no employees will be able to actually um, force vaccination onto their staff. The teachers can't be forced and the children can't be forced to get vaccinated for school because our law is actually already protecting us and our rights. And the best thing to do for this situation is just increase education around the entire topic, like the prof said, all the pros and all the cons in all its detail. So I just wanted to bring the point across about the, the legal application for this. Thank you. Rebecca and Centurion. We've run out of time. Prof, we'll speak again soon. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pamela. Professor Beatrum Fielding, virologist and director of research and development at the University of the Western Cape.